take our Bibles at this time and turn to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, where we'll begin our reading in verse 1. And so in our way of moving through the catechism along with our catechism class, at least the senior high catechism class, we have in every other year this opportunity to come nearer to a time of Lent, an understanding of, of Christ's suffering, of His crucifixion. And so we'll work our way through Mark 15 over the next couple of weeks along with our catechism to speak the reality of what is ours so that through our Lenten series, then, we might look at some of the, uh, the libretto, the text from the Messiah, especially in terms of Lent, to see that Old Testament fulfillment driven through then into the wonder of Christ's sacrifice for us Good Friday and the joy of that resurrection on Easter Sunday. And so a little bit of the roadmap of which we take, but this morning, coming to the table as well, mindful of that which our Christ has suffered for us for that complete forgiveness of all of our sins. So let's hear these words. Mark 15, beginning at verse 1, we pay special attention to the reading of God's Word because it is that, the very Word of God for you this day. And as soon as it was the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led Him away and delivered Him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked Him, are you the King of the Jews? And He answered Him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused Him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. We also take up our Trinity Psalters, turning in its back pages to page 878. Page 878. And the truth of Lord's Day 15. And so we are going to only look at question and answers 37 and 38 this morning. We're going to move 39 into our understanding of the crucifixion and the suffering of death next Sunday, the Lord willing it. So what do you understand by the word suffered? That during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. This he did in order that by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, 
he might deliver us, body and soul, from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? So that he, though innocent, might be condemned by an earthly judge and so free us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. Thus far, our confession. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our spirit be pleasing to you. Father, would you remove any thoughts of the week before, the week ahead? Remove any thought of our own preference, our own bitterness in these ways as well. Father, that we would hear, truly hear your word spoken to us, that we would receive it in the sacrament, and that we would do so in the joy of our Savior, who for the joy set before him endured all of the things that we have read and so much more for our salvation. Would you hear us and be near us in the proclamation of your word? And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Congregation beloved of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that was so humiliating. I have never been more humiliated in all my life. And when you hear that, you probably already thought of a moment in which maybe you had said the same thing. Something that has happened so profoundly in your life that that's the only way that you can describe it. Maybe one of those times, children, where you forgot your homework and had to do the walk of shame to tell the teacher that you had forgotten, or at least that was your story. Or you showed up to that game and you brought the wrong color jersey to it. The time you counted wrong and thus performed an unfortunate solo live in concert. Or you got sick on that class trip in front of everybody. Or when you asked your crush out in front of her friends and got shot down dramatically. So humiliating. That even in those moments where we're brave enough to share it, that's where it resolves for us. I I was humiliated. I I was made fun of. I was ridiculed. I was mocked. But was it really humiliating? Because sometimes we use words to describe things that aren't the best words to be able to use for that. Because in the examples that I've just mentioned, you, would you really say I was humiliated? Maybe not. I was embarrassed. And I'm not saying I, meaning all of those things happened to me, but maybe some of them did. Embarrassed. I, I wasn't prepared. There are a number of other words that we could use. But to use the term humiliated would mean that you had something to learn from those moments. There was something that you had to grow into. That it wasn't just a moment of which you had endured shame, but that you really said, there was some way that I needed to grow up. There was something that I needed to learn. Yes, mistakes were made. But we have to think on those things when we come to Christ, who throughout his whole life was learning according to the flesh. That he never stops being Christ. It's why it's so important when we talk fully God and fully man. That as a child, he had to grow in wisdom and in stature. That he would have had to learn all of those things that children have to learn. And to grow up and to learn those things that men have to learn as well. Was there something to learn? 
Because Christ is not a story of embarrassment, though before the world, if anyone else were to live in that way, certainly you would think so. Shamed by the Jews, shamed by the Romans. And nor should we be embarrassed to share it or shamed for it. Because we certainly are not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So rather than Christ's story is of the truest and greatest humiliation. That we use that term not just theologically, but to get at the true understanding of what he is enduring for us, not only in the day that we've read of, but all throughout his life. The truest and greatest humiliation for every one of the things that he endured, every one of the moments that he lived, every one of them that he suffered, were those in which he was humbled before the Father's will who actively humbled himself before the Father's will and in which he grew according to the human nature in ways of compassion. And so it's why that line is so powerful when we memorize it as catechism students, that he suffered throughout his whole life, but especially at the end, that these things were endured and learned for us. And so in that way, his suffering is not only the greatest humiliation ever, but was that which he endured and grew into for that salvation. All of this was necessary. All of it according to the Father's will that we could come here and call him Savior and Lord, that we could come and taste and see that he is good, knowing that our sins are forgiven and we've been made forever right with God. That his humiliation allows us the opportunity and the privilege of being those humiliated before him. Humbled before a holy, mighty God in walking the will of the Father. Knowing that in all of those moments that I just mentioned, in every one of the moments of our lives of which there is something to learn, he will use all of those moments and days for ceaseless praise to grow in us grace and knowledge and compassion as we give ourselves more fully to trust in Christ for all of our salvation. And that is the story we need to share. Not embarrassing tales of our youth, but to continue to share with each other as Christ has humbled himself before the Father, these are the ways that I'm seeking to do so in thanks for what he has given me in his Son. And so the Christian speaks a fulsome story of Christ's humiliation as we trust in Christ alone unto our salvation. And so in Mark 15, that story then that we share is of one falsely accused. We see that in verses 1 to 5. Story of one deceitfully exchanged in verses 6 through 15, and then finally one brutally mocked in verses 16 through 20. The Christian speaks a fulsome story of Christ's humiliation unto our salvation, which means throughout his whole life, but especially at the end, he was falsely accused. Now, in some ways, you might say, well, he was just being confused or, or people didn't understand who he was, but but that becomes part of that humiliation as well. That even when Jesus takes up his ministry, what does he hear? Well, isn't this just Mary and Joseph's son? Why does he claim to be something when he's nothing? The disciples looking at him and where he's come from. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
He's just a good rabbi. He's just a teacher. He's just a prophet. And so in that way, while they were saying something true, they weren't saying enough truth. And so while it's not a false accusation, it's an accusation that is far less than what he really is. And so throughout his life then comes not only misunderstanding, but mocking, maligning, hatred, him being despised. And that's what we see come together then as we reach the truth of Good Friday. As we see the culmination of that suffering now come into a new period of suffering, only that which is ramped up. And so the Friday we call good began at the very crack of dawn with a consultation, with a meeting of the Sanhedrin and all of the other religious leaders amongst the Jews to figure out how can we humiliate him? How can we embarrass him? How can we end him at the hands both of Jew and Gentile? How can we accuse him in such a way that Rome will take a hand in ending him? They wanted to curse him, but they couldn't. Not in the way that they wanted to. Yes, they could have taken him out. They could have stoned him for blasphemy, but it wasn't enough. Not in their eyes, certainly And so they would have considered every possible false accusation that morning. To say that they were talking out of class and out of turn, talking behind someone's back, even that becomes the understatement of the millennium. What is the way in which we might ruin him? And they land then on his claim to be a messiah. They land on his claim to be king. A blasphemy in their ears, but also something that they bank on being a threat to the emperor. This is what he claims. And so they bound the blasphemer who claimed to be both Messiah, King, and God, and deliver him to Pilate. And here that word really, and perhaps more truly translated, would be handed over. That there's a A reality in that language in terms of sacrifice that needs to be maintained by us. They do it unknowingly, but here it is. Here he is, even according to the high priest that it would be good for one to die for the people. They hand him over. Their false accusation is used in his humiliation to place him in the role of victim. It's an important place within the narrative. That was their purpose. But that language of handed over then comes to us in terms of an understanding of the Father not only giving His Son, but handing Him over. The greater Abraham who brings a greater than Isaac. And here is the sacrifice. And there will be no one to stay His hand. The Father remains and will always remain sovereign, but especially in that moment, ordaining that very interaction so that the means of man's redemption would be handed over. And this he did in order that by Christ's suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he might deliver us, body and soul, from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. He must be falsely accused for this end. 
And indeed, in hearing it, Pilate becomes alert in hearing the false accusations. He questions the claim. He does so twice. Are you the king? Do you hear their accusations? Have you no answer? And he doesn't say anything. You've said so is as much answer as we're going to get on all of Good Friday. You have said it. I don't have to say anything here. That's what they've said. That's what you've said. And it happens to be the one true thing they say all day. He makes no answer. Because of the false accusations? Because of Pilate's claim? No, to fulfill all scriptures. To humble himself before the Father. Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. That's why he suffered all of those moments. The humiliation of being conceived and born to submit himself to sinful parents, to the misunderstanding nicely spoken of all of those as he grew in wisdom and stature, to be in an environment of all sin when he knew no sin, why he was willing to endure all of it and suffer all of it, seeing man's sin so fully displayed as enemies. But their need of salvation was made all the more clear. And yet it's Pilate's amazement that cuts through the moment. Because the person and work of Christ cuts through all the false accusations. Here is the truth in that moment. You can say all kinds of false things against him. And we live in a world that wants to say all kinds of false things against him and his people. In every way what Christians are. And the truth of Christ cuts through that. But then one cannot remain unbelieving. And you cannot just hear these things and rest at, that's amazing. Because in both responses, there is no salvation. No, he must be believed upon by faith in the fullness of who he is, trusting fully in what he is doing even in that moment as your once for all atoning sacrifice for every one of your sins and for all the sins of his people. That kind of faith, that kind of belief is required to be found in that one falsely accused for you who endured all of it for you and your salvation. And he calls you to believe. Not just to assent, not just to be amazed, to believe it. To believe in that one who is also then deceitfully exchanged in that in the second place. Because there's still, even at this moment in the narrative, that tension. He's humbled himself to the will. Here now is Christ before the Romans. The Jews have already condemned him. Could the suffering be ended? Could it be stopped? There's still a way. There's still an out. Could the humiliation be lessened? 
because instantly that transition now comes to the fact that one could be set free that day if Pilate would do what he had always done. Making his choice, releasing whom he would, it could happen. One could be delivered. And yet in following through with their false accusation, they continue in the deceit of their own hearts and lives. So they ask for Barabbas. They ask for one who was a rebel against Rome and a murderer at that. They ask for one who was more than likely condemned to die that very day. It's tragic. It certainly leads to intrigue in the story if you've never read it before. But where we land, what's going on here? What a travesty of justice. In their lies and false accusations, they would rather have Barabbas than Jesus. They would rather have one arrested for seeking to strike out against Rome and usher in a kingdom of this world instead of receiving a king who promised to deliver them into something better and something greater. That's exactly right. And how often do I want to judge it? Why would they do that? How could they do that? Matt, this is his claim on your life. This is his law that he's given you. This is the way of righteousness. And you exchange that too for your own sin, for walking your own way, for wanting something other than him. They exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship the creation rather than the creator or the word of that creation. It's my sin too. It's your sin too. And so the Jews at that moment deceitfully exchanged Jesus for a murderer. Again, rather having a sinner returned rather than him who was to be their savior. And in so doing, what a picture our father paints. You see, that's the wonder of the narrative too. Because our father has ordained to show us in the humiliation of his son, in striking relief, a picture of the wonder of substitutionary atonement. Here is one who is sinless, given for the sinful. In my place, condemned he stood. Here it is. And we say, why? Why would anyone suffer this way? Why would anyone allow himself to be falsely accused and deceitfully exchanged? Especially knowing the one, knowing the ones he would be exchanged for. Why? It was the will of the Lord to crush him so that he could look on him and pardon me. That he could look on him and pardon you. It's why he opened not his mouth. It's why he endured that suffering. Even that of Pilate deceitfully exchanging him for exaltation and satisfaction. He did it. Pilate does this to exalt himself. Let me taunt you. Let me mock you. Let me exalt myself over the Jews so they will know their place. He did it then in the same way to satisfy those same Jews so that he could get a word in to advance his political cause in Rome. The people are broken in every way. The story is broken in every way. And yet in ordaining all things to come to that moment, 
the Lord provides a better story. Not of the defeat, of the wonder and the why, but the how. Providing one in whom true and lasting satisfaction can be found. One in whom when we are found in him, we know that we will be exalted. And so that deceitful change is completed. The just is given up for the unjust with the instruction to crucify him. So that though innocent, he might be condemned by an earthly judge. Even in the deceit of asking why, whatever has he done, comes the shout of crucify him. He endures that too for us. That humiliation for us. To so free us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. It was the only way. He is the only way of that kind of salvation. That his robes for mine, that I might be exalted. And that I might find my greatest satisfaction in him. That true is a truth we must believe and grow into by faith. One that we must share. Even as we seek to live as those who benefit from that glorious exchange. And yet there's more in that story to speak of that humiliation. For the Savior in whom we place all of our trust is then brutally mocked in that in the last place because that life of suffering, that which was endured, wasn't it enough? Like I'm left sometimes wondering that as I study these texts year after year. Why was this the level? I mean, none of us likes to suffer anything at all, not even remotely so. But all of this, he had suffered at the hands of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership. He had suffered at the hands of Pilate, who truly had been on the one on, was the one on trial rather than Jesus. He suffers throughout that whole life. But here at the end now, it has to be brutal. This isn't just words now. This is hands. This is sticks and stones. Here at the end, his suffering, which was always physical and spiritual and emotional, now takes up the pain, full rid of physical anguish. For now, a company of Roman mercenaries, at least a hundred of them, will brutalize him with the approval of Pilate to the end of the further humiliation of the Jews and their king. In fact, their mocking brutality stems from his claim to be Messiah, to be king. And so the world, Jew and Gentile, mocks him for it. Here is your robe of purple, the color of royalty. Wear it. They mock him in twisting together a crown of thorns. They mock him in shouting out the cry that was very similar, reserved only for the emperor. Hail! Hail, King of the Jews! And if that wasn't enough, they beat their mocking upon him, beating him with their hands, beating him with a strong reed, spitting upon him. Hail! Hail! But there would seem in the story to be no victor there. Only one bloodied and bowed, even as they mockingly bowed before him. That we are right to say Good Friday, that the understanding of Christ's humiliation was full from the start of that day. Mocked and beaten, now stripped and shamed, and then led out to be crucified. A lamb led to the slaughter. And it should cause us to pause and tremble before one humiliated through suffering. Again, not just on that day, 
but in every experience he suffered, every moment of his existence on earth. And yet we are most taken aback by what he suffered, especially at the end. Why? All of it matters, but why this? Because he did it for us in my place. For all who are chosen, for all who are precious for him, even while we were yet enemies. He had come for that very world. Christ sustained all of it, persevered through all of it, suffered through all of it as a prepared sacrifice, as a deliverer, as a gift giver, as one righteous for the unrighteous, as one just for the unjust, as one innocent for the guilty, as one true and only King, the Messiah, the Savior and Lord. In complete submission to the will of the Father, in perfect suffering of all of it, that we might be saved and set free from the tyranny of the devil. So that we could sing, what language could we borrow to thank thee, dearest friend? But I ask this morning, not again, are you amazed by him or do you assent to it? But do you call this Savior mine? This is what he has done for me. For in him and him alone are we set free. So that we could do what? So that we could suffer for the name, that we could endure the shame and the sorrow of the world, the attacks of the evil one, humbled throughout all of our life, but a life that will end in death or at the second coming of Christ, and then will never end, and no suffering anymore, and nothing else to know but the beauty of Christ, and to grow into that forever. And so we will suffer as those set apart to thank him always, even for those humiliating moments which drive us again to learn from Christ. There could be no greater salvation. There could be no greater story of suffering, nor of such steadfast love to endure it. So may our lives be lived a testimony to that story of grace alone through faith alone, speaking that story of Christ alone to the glory of his name alone. Amen.